Psalm 23 in different versions, and Psalm 126. It is good to pay attention to the words that we use in song and the way that they shape our sense of worship and who we understand God to be and the language that we use to talk of our fellowship with one another and our connection to our Lord and Savior. I invite you at this time to open your Bibles to Psalm 23. Um, if Psalm 23 is a familiar text um, in many, many ways. Um, but if you're just wondering where to find it, um, if you open basically to the middle of your Bible, you'll probably hit the Psalms. Um, maybe you'll end up in Proverbs. That's a little bit to the right. Um, you could end up in Isaiah, um, a little bit to the left. But usually you'll hit the Psalms about in the middle. And then Psalm 23 is our text for this morning. Um, this is a text that even is popular at a secular level. Um, there's plenty of movies, a handful I can think of, where you hear this psalm read in the background of a funeral service. It has a familiarity to it, which makes a challenge for us this morning as we read it together to hear it fresh, to remember all that we know of it, and also to come to it with fresh eyes and to ask, God, what would you speak to me from this text today? In addition to all the ways in maybe, maybe this psalm has spoken to you again and again throughout your life. There's also, just a note, um, sympathy for the preacher. There is far too much written about this psalm to capture in one day. I mean, I guess we do have a long weekend, but I think you all want to go home for lunch too. So let's just slowly take a step into one facet of this psalm today. But before we do so, let's pray for God's blessing upon the word. God, open our eyes so that we may see you. Open our hearts that we may receive truth. Open our minds that we may clearly understand you. Lord, open our souls to you, that you may lead us in the ways that we should go. Today, tomorrow, and forever. Amen. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some of our simplest questions can also have some of the most complicated answers. But a simple question that might also have a simple answer, at least in word, is this. Does the Lord lead you? Does the Lord lead you? 
I think if you're here or if you're listening to a sermon online, if you're the type of person um, that would be drawn to such a thing, most of us would probably endeavor to answer, yes, the Lord leads me. Does the Lord lead you? Yeah, yeah, I think so, hope so. Maybe the challenge in understanding what it is that we say, yes, God leads me, the Lord is my shepherd, it is the Lord who leads me, Maybe the challenge of understanding the, the truthfulness in our answer, the earnestness with which we would say, yes, God leads me, is this. If, if you were explaining to someone who does not know God, who does not follow Jesus, does not endeavor to be led by the Lord, the Good Shepherd, how would you explain to them what it's like to be led by the Lord? Does the Lord lead you? Yes. What's that like? How do you know that the Lord is leading you? What does that look like? How does that play out in your life? If we can answer yes, then hopefully over time, and this is where in the fall we'll get into our sense of, of story, of God authoring our story, that, that we get to, to participate in the unfolding story that God has for all of God's people and for the world. But maybe that develops over time, the ways in which we can answer that confident and definitive Yes, the Lord leads me. And here is how I know. Here's how I put that into practice. Because we can be led in all kinds of different ways by all kinds of different things. We can be led by pride. We can be led by ambition. That can be tricky. Sometimes things can be good and bad. It is good to have ambition, a desire to work hard, maybe a project that we love that we want to pour ourselves into. But we can be led also just by blind ambition. Both ands are hard. As a popular phrase has reminded us, knowing something will hurt and doing it anyway is the definition of courage. Knowing something will hurt and doing it anyway is the definition of courage. It's also the definition of stupidity. And that's why life is hard. We can be led by anxiety to play it safe sometimes for our betterment, sometimes out of our own cowardice. We can be led by a desire for security to keep our heads down. We can be led by anger to speak up or by fear not to speak up. We can be led by greed to hoard wealth. We can also be led by generosity to give of ourselves and our wealth. We can be led by our own agendas we can maybe find a spot where we can point to God being part of our agenda. We can be led by image and vanity to keep up appearances. We also can be led by diligence to maintain things well. We can be led by pressure to perform at work or at school. We can be led in all kinds of different ways by all kinds of different things. And perhaps if we name some of those, those parts of us that, that lead, we might identify a little bit with someone who maybe does not say that the Lord leads them, but we're both led by the same spirit of generosity to bless and to build up. We can be led by hospitality, to welcome, to include, to, to foster a sense of belonging and depth of relationship. We can be led by all of those things, but how is it that being led by the Lord, as the psalm speaks of, he leads me, how is it different? How is it distinct? I think how, how that shows up 
is part of our testimony that we discover over time and reflection. And maybe the best way to learn that is to speak and spend time with those who are older and wiser in the faith than you. And you might hear some of their story. And they look back and see how they were led by the Lord. And it might bring some clarity to your own story. This is why I highly commend for all generations, for those of us who are young, to spend time with our senior saints. And for our senior saints to spend time with us that we can discern together what it's like to be led by the Lord. Psalm 23 speaks of places that we are led, uses imagery to describe God's leading. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I shall lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me. Another leading word. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God leads. But as we approach the psalm, as we reflect on what it means for us, and what it means for our life, we also should be careful to not hope for something that Scripture never promised and to not want something that God never intended. The psalm does not say that there will not occasionally be famine and hunger, but the promise is that I will lead you. I will lead you to green pastures, to green grass, to food. The psalm does not promise that life will not occasionally be turbulent and disturbed and mixed up, that it won't occasionally be difficult and tumultuous. But he leads me, the Lord leads me beside quiet waters. God does not say that you will never be tired, exhausted, worn out, burned out, on the edge of losing your mind. But the promise is that he will restore our soul. God does not say that the path will be easy or even a guarantee that it will always be simple to know what to do. And yet, we are told that he will lead us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God does not promise that we will not experience the pain of death and loss, that we will not experience heartbreak in this world. And yet the promise is that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the darkest valley, I will fear no evil because, not because of my great courage, but because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So if life is good, if life is abundant, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the fruit of God's leading, though I think it can be. But hard times will come, but being led by God is a matter of where we find ourselves, even in the midst of the presence of our enemies. God did not promise that we would not have enemies or that we would make friends with everyone we met, though Jesus did call us friends. But rather that even in the presence of our enemies, a table will be set before us. In short, God didn't promise things that would be easy, but God promised to lead us and to be with us even in the midst of it all. Life is hard, stressful, confusing, and occasionally overwhelming. But God is in the business of letting us catch our breath and then be sent in the right direction. Eugene Peterson um, puts it that way, that God 
lets us catch our breath, and then sends us in the right direction. We are people who are to be led. Now, this is Labor Day weekend, after all. Labor Day weekend being um, late 19th century um, labor bargaining to make sure that there is a national holiday. And so it is actually a day to rest from our labors. It's a weekend, really. It is a holiday season that is a time of cessation of rest, of, of work, so that we may rest. There is some tranquility found that we might identify with in the psalm of still waters, quiet, tranquil times, of abundance of food, Going to a picnic, having a little bit of time off, Psalm 23 fits Labor Day really, really well. And of all the things that we need in life, we need space to listen to God so that we can be led. And if that space does not exist, if that ceasing of work does not have part of our life rhythm captured within it, it will be very hard for us to be led by God because we're not listening or looking. When we think about breaking God's laws, thinking about the Ten Commandments, breaking the top ten, usually we think of the things that we shouldn't do, like, you know, don't murder someone. And in fact, Jesus would say, and don't even speak harshly or think, think bad about them in your heart. Don't commit adultery. Don't get tied up into all of that. But also to remember that if we don't take Sabbath, if we don't take rest, at that point also we are breaking God's laws that it's in the same set of commandments as murder and adultery is to honor the Sabbath, to keep it holy. So if rest is not in our life rhythm, if Sabbath does not find its way into our life patterns, we are breaking God's law by not resting. Because when we rest, we find the space to be led by God not just in patterns of laziness, and it's okay, I think, occasionally to binge watch a show, but that will not bring the wholeheartedness that God intends for us. That the cure for weariness is not rest, but wholeheartedness, is a quote from G.K. Chesterton. We need rest and Sabbath, so that this vision of Psalm 23, where maybe life is tumultuous, and there's scarcity, and there's hard things going on, and yet there is this peace and tranquility, that there is a God who provides even in times of hunger, that there is a God who creates some space for calm in the midst of chaos. Without Sabbath, we will not be led in this way. There will always be a hundred things asking for our time. And so even when we're not working on one thing, there will be other things that will ask for our time and attention and energy. And we will freely give them. And what we worship will be discovered by where we spend our time and our money. So try on this. Is there dedicated space to talk to God and to listen to God in your life pattern? For this week, I would challenge you to read Psalm 23 at least once a day. I won't put a cap on it, but at least once a day. Read Psalm 23. And if you already have a really good rhythm of devotions, then great. Just add one more good thing. But if maybe there's not been that time or space lately, if that has not been set aside in the stresses of work or the chaos of getting back to school, read Psalm 23 once a day. By yourself, with someone else, either way. But set aside such time. Find within it 
time where we keep God's law and we are led by God back to this picture of a sheep being led by the good shepherd who is Jesus Christ. For all of the things that will want our time, push back and create some space to read Psalm 23 at least once a day this week. Maybe, though, as we read it, its familiarity washes over us, and we have a certain picture in our head. Um, There's different pieces of artwork of the Good Shepherd of Psalm 23 combined with the Gospel of John. And maybe we read this psalm, and maybe this week we read it, and, and it's just too picture perfect and ideal. And we might find some resistance in our hearts to this vision of Jesus as the Good Shepherd, even in the midst of harsh, scary times, that we say, you know what, that might work for them, but it doesn't work for my life. It doesn't work at this point in human history of strife and division and conflict and hatred. Maybe we would push back and say that, you know, this is, this is for those easier, simpler times. For one, I think being a shepherd back in the day would have actually been quite stressful. There were not abundant green fields like the one just west of church here. Um, To find green grass for sheep would be a lot of walking around and a lot of hunting and searching. But also, this is not the first time in human history that things have been stressful and divisive. We might say today, and I have heard this said several times, that the country of our country, the U.S., is as divided as it has ever been. I think a qualifier might be in our lifetime. Because also, speaking to those who are older and wiser, who have been led by God, they will remind us that uh, Vietnam and the civil rights era were also pretty divided and heated and tumultuous. And perhaps what still will take the cake in human history, even though we were not alive for it, would probably be the American Civil War being the height of disagreement in our country, in our nation's history. It's in that backdrop of the civil war that the hymn, He Leadeth Me, was written. Do you know this hymn? He leadeth me, O blessed thought. That one. And don't worry, we're singing it for our song of response. He Leadeth Me was written during the civil war. I have a book with me, Then Sings My Soul. And uh, we actually are intending to use this next summer for our summer sermon series to go through a hymn a week and the text that inspired it and a little bit of the history of the words and, and context in which our praise songs and our hymns were written. He Leadeth Me is one such song that we have a little bit of history and context of. It is both inspiring and humorous. On autumn nights, as we sleep peacefully in our beds, millions of songbirds travel under the cover of darkness, heading south. Somehow they know their way. God has given them a state-of-the-art internal guidance system. And yet we are more valuable than many sparrows. If God guides us, his creation, will he not also guide his children? The, the, The psalmist thought so, saying, the psalmist thought so saying, say that five times fast, the psalmist thought so saying, he leadeth me. Dr. Joseph H. Gilmore, son of a governor of New Hampshire, gave this account of writing his famous hymn on that very theme. 
As a young man recently graduated, I was supplying for a couple of Sundays the pulpit of the First Baptist Church in Philadelphia. At the midweek service on the 26th of March, 1862, I set out to give the people an exposition of the 23rd Psalm, which I had given before on three or four occasions. The luxury of an itinerant preacher, reused sermons. But this time, I did not get further than the words, He leadeth me. These words took hold of me as they had never done before, and I saw in them a significance of which I had never dreamed. It was the darkest hour of the Civil War. I did not refer to that fact, that is, I don't think I did, but it may subconsciously have led me to realize that God's leadership is the one significant fact in human experience, that it makes no difference how we are led or whither we are led, so long as we are sure that God is leading us. At the close of the meeting, a few of us in the parlor of my host, Deacon Watson, kept on talking about the thought I had emphasized. And then and there, on a blank page of brief from which I had intended to speak, I penciled the hymn, talking and writing at the same time, then handed it to my wife and thought no more about it. She sent it to the Watchman and Reflector, a paper published in Boston, where it was first printed. I did not know until 1865, so three years later, until 1865 that my hymn had been set to music by William Bradbury. I went to Rochester to preach as a candidate before the Second Baptist Church, and going into their chapel, I picked up a hymnal to see what they were singing, and I opened it to my own hymn, He Leadeth Me. Gilmore wrote a classic, and he didn't even know it. He wrote it down on scratch paper and just handed it off and didn't think any more about it. He wasn't brought into a holy trance of, of, you know, almost like a comatose state of only writing. He was just talking in some guy's parlor back in the day after church and wrote down the classic hymn that we know today, He Leadeth Me. That humors me to no end. And so whenever you write poetry, I recommend that you give it to someone wise because you might have just written a classic. But also what grabs me, my attention in this is that Gilmore wrote this in the height of the Civil War when things were bad news all the time, when there was division and hatred and faction. And it is in that moment that God spoke so clearly to that one phrase in one psalm, in a whole collection of psalms in one really big Bible, he leadeth me. And that the Holy Spirit grabbed his attention on that one piece, he leadeth me. That it would bring such comfort and such peace even in the midst of tumultuous times. And so my dear friends, does God lead you? Yes. Of course, that is what we endeavor to always say yes to. And always, hopefully, as our testimony grows and as we understand our story, as God writes our story, is also evident to us. But perhaps he leadeth me, gives us a clue into what it looks like to be led by God. That there is a peace found in devotion to Jesus. That there is a comfort that is discovered in God's presence, that there is a shelter and tranquility in the midst of storms, 
that are found when we have the assurance that God is leading and that our faithful response is to follow, to listen with our ears, eyes, and hearts, to make space for holy rhythms of Sabbath rest that we can spend time with God to invest and to allow God to invest into us, to know that it can be true and always unfolding. He leadeth me. And so this week, friends, read Psalm 23 at least once a day. Make the time for it. Make the space for it. Maybe occasionally it will be a rushed through read on your phone in the school pickup line. I'm not sure. But even then, is that not better than not reading it at all? He leadeth me. May the Lord lead you in the midst of whatever stress and trials that you are facing in this moment to green pastures, to still waters, that your soul may be restored, that you can catch your breath and be set in the right direction by the Lord who continues to lead us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the good shepherd, and you promise us that your sheep will know your voice. And so, Lord, we, your sheep, we, your servants, we come to listen with our hearts, that we may know your voice, that we may know your leading, that we may know that you are leading us when we have an inner peace that cannot be taken away from external, by external circumstances. Help us to know your voice 